Our second reading on this Sunday comes from Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, the fourth chapter beginning with the fifth verse of 2 Corinthians. Let us continue now listening for a word from God. Paul writes, saying, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, Paul writes, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, Paul concludes, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our sermon today is titled, The Gritty Gospel. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we pray that you might send your spirit now, that it might stir that life that is deep within. God, we pray that through that spirit, this very old letter might speak fresh meaning, might even speak fresh life for our living of these days. Indeed, O God, we pray that through your spirit, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts might be pleasing in your sight, for you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the summers of 2004 and 2005, renowned University of Pennsylvania psychologist Angela Duckworth traveled to the military academy in West Point, New York. She went there to survey brand new recruits who had just landed on campus to begin what is known as Beast Barracks. The Beast Barracks are a rigorous seven-week physical training program that begins before the start of freshman year for West Point cadets. It is so intense and rigorous that many who begin Beast Barracks do not finish it. Many who arrive in West Point in order to become West Point grads four years later stop before they even begin. Duckworth had gone there trying to identify for her research a characteristic or trait 
that she could pinpoint in order to most accurately predict who would make it through Beast Barracks and who would not. What is interesting about her research is the answer she arrived at. According to her surveys, the most accurate predictor about whether or not a candidate would successfully complete the program was not their SAT score, it was not their class rank in high school, it was not their leadership potential, or even their physical aptitude. Instead, the best predictor was a trait that Duckworth later coined grit. According to her, grit is best defined as passion and sustained persistence applied toward long-term achievement with no particular concern for rewards or recognition along the way. Grit then combines things like resilience and ambition and self-control in pursuit of goals that might take months or years or even decades. Even when things are boring or tedious or, in the case of a West Point recruit, painful, people with grit do not give up. You know, if one were to summarize Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, those four words might suffice. Do not give up. Paul is writing this letter to a congregation that is steeped in crisis. They are divided in Corinth over so many things it's easy to almost lose count. Divided over class and socioeconomic standing. Divided over ethics and issues of morality. Divided over who gets to come to the table and when. Divided even over the truth of the resurrection in some cases. The infighting in Corinth at the time Paul writes to them is so bad that it is spilling over into the streets, into the public sphere. So bad that some in that church are on the verge of going back to their former lives. And in the case of the ancient world, their former gods. Do not give up. Paul seems to be saying to them. I hear him saying, have some grit, people of Corinth. Now to be clear, I don't think Paul is telling the church there to just suck it up. I don't think he's telling them to quiet down and quit their arguing or to pretend that there are no problems. I think we've all tried that approach to conflict management before and seen the results when we just pretend there's no actual problem. But what Paul does seem to be calling them to is to practice self-control, to persevere in the face of their challenges, to demonstrate resilience, not just over days or weeks, but over a lifetime. We are hard-pressed, he writes, 
on every side, but Christians are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We followers of Christ may be persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We are, in other words, Paul says, gritty. In 2016, Duckworth published a book about grit, and since then it has become a sort of buzzword in education and in the corporate sphere. Schools suddenly want to train their students and raise up young people who have grit. Corporations want to hire leaders that can persevere through challenges in the long term. But the interesting thing as I thought about grit this week is I don't think I have ever heard that word used in the church. I suspect that part of the reason it has not or is not used in the church very often is because the term itself feels kind of exclusive. You either have grit or you don't. You're either tough or you are weak. You either persist or you fail. But that's not the way Paul seems to be thinking about it here in 2 Corinthians. For Paul, grit does not seem determined by one's successes or failures. We are, after all, he writes, earthen vessels. We're jars of clay. We are fragile. We're finite. We're mortal. We're prone to breaking. We are human. What matters to Paul, it seems, is what is within those cracked human vessels. Something he claims is infinitely precious. Something that is poured into each and every person. The light and the life of the resurrected Christ. We have this treasure, he writes, in clay jars, so that it may be clear that this extraordinary power, I read that as saying, life itself belongs to God and not to us. You know, friends, if ever there was a time when the church needs grit, I would propose it is now. In these days that we are living, in these times when words like Parkland and Pulse and Isis and Irma and Zika and Cancer, words like Ferguson and Charlottesville and Pink Hats and Me Too and Fake News and The 1%, And all the rest are part of our everyday vocabulary and for some here part of our everyday reality. It takes courage to not give up. It takes grit to keep following Jesus. To be the lonely souls who insist on meeting hatred with compassion. Anger with empathy, pain with presence, evil with love. 
It takes courage to resist the siren call of the world that beckons us to reach for recognition and accolades, to focus on building up and puffing out our own greatness, even at the expense of others. It takes courage to believe that though we are all deeply flawed, we are all also inexplicably loved. It takes grit to tip over the cracked jar of our own lives and share the treasure within with those around us. It takes courage. It takes grit. But when we do, when we do tip over that jar. A few weeks ago, I got a note from someone, someone who has been visiting our church for some time, has found a home here, but suddenly found themselves going through incredibly scary times. I asked them for permission, and they gave me permission to share a few of their words with you. They opened their letter by writing this, In the past few days, Alan, I have been pummeled, pummeled, under the weight of grief, of fear, of anxiety, totally flattened. It's a strange sensation, they continued. I'm flattened, and yet... There's also that stomach drop thing that happens on a really great roller coaster, except I'm sitting perfectly still. Life has blown some of the harshest winds there are to blow. This person then goes on in this letter to describe then what this church, our church, has meant to them in these scary times. In this church, in the love of a nursery attendant, they say, in the greeting of a pewmate, in the invitation to a table, they have felt preached and practiced the story of a gritty gospel, of a gritty God, a God who has not and who will not Give up on them. After reflecting on all this, they wrote towards the end of the letter saying that same flattening stomach drop sensation hit me again. But this time it felt a lot more like the love and the grace of God pummeling me, flattening me in the best way possible. In all of this, they say, I had forgotten what those other winds, the warm ones that fill you with hope and humility and life and courage feel like. God's grace poured out of ordinary clay jars. Friends, have courage. Have grit. 
do not give up. Because the extraordinary treasure, the source of our very being within, is a God who has not, who will not, and who does not give up on us. Amen.